0: Pastor Brian is uh, the, the pastor of Alpine Church in the Salt Lake City area. They have a number of different campuses. that We struck up a relationship with Alpine Church a few months ago because we needed some mentoring. We needed some coaching on how to do multi-campus, but be one church, and how to reach na- different neighborhoods for Christ. And so uh, we've learned a lot. We've learned a lot about discipleship, and then our church has learned a lot, as Brian and Tracy have been kind of coaching us this week at the retreat, about how to make disciples, how do we take our heart and our intent to serve God by making disciples and mentoring people in the faith, um, and how do we actually get engaged in doing it and advance the mission of, uh, of Ambassador Church and the mission of God. And so um, today, you will hear from Pastor Brian. So, enough introduction. Round of applause for Pastor Brian. Thank you. Thanks for being here. Thank you. It's great for my wife and I. Tracy, would you stand just for a moment and wave to the congregation? This is my wife, Tracy. She's not that short. She wasn't standing; um, she was sitting still. But it's great for us to be here. It was really great for us to spend some time with uh, some of your some of your other church family down in San Diego, and uh, we we had an opportunity to share, as Pastor Mike said, about disciple making. Uh, one of our passions as a couple is to uh, equip the church to make disciples, and to that end, we've been working for the last six years on a Uh, Discipleship website that we created called PursueGod.org. In fact, today's message uh, is a series on that website. So if you go to the marriage category on PursueGod.org, you'll find today's notes. So don't feel like you need to take notes because everything is right there. And the reason that we do it like that is because we believe that church is more than a sermon, we believe it's more than about. Preaching and gathering people to listen and uh, consume. Uh, one of the things that we teach all of our campuses and other partner churches around the country that use the resources at pursuegod.org is we teach them to have conversations about God's truth. And so we have conversations on marriage, on parenting, on addiction, on emotions, on relationships. We have conversations for families. We have conversations for young people, for men, for women. All of that is at PursueGod.org, and so again, I encourage you to find what we're talking about today at PursueGod.org in the marriage category. So if anything that I talk about today uh, just strikes a chord for you, and I hope that it does, uh, then I hope that you would go and talk about this with your spouse, those of you who are parents, who have kids, who are, uh, you know, at anywhere in the area of getting married, I hope that you'll... Help them have these conversations. I'm going to preach it today, but it, it it's way more effective in a discipling conversation, and that's what per, the PursueGod.org resources are all about. So everything we're doing today, in fact, what I'm going to preach to you is our Marriage Basics series, because today we're going to take a deep dive on marriage. Now, when I was young, uh, in my family, my mom and my dad, um, wonderful parents, and. Uh, one of the things that my mom, one of the rules that we had in our home was um, you couldn't walk in the living room or in the dining room, ever, except for on Thanksgiving Day. Thanksgiving Day it was like the Holy of Holies. We could go into uh, the, the dining room on Thanksgiving Day because my mom is a neat freak, and she loved to vacuum, and she loves those lines that the vacuum makes. Can I get an amen? Anyone in here? Okay. <laughs> So she would, she would vacuum the dining room and she would vacuum the living room and we, we knew not to step foot in either of those rooms. If you go in there today, you know, 40 years after my parents bought the home, you would never know that that carpet is 40 years old because it's been walked on no less or no more than 40 times, right? Thanksgiving every year and sometimes we'd skip that and go somewhere else for Thanksgiving to give it a break, right? And so... I had a friend growing up, Chris Taylor is his name, and for some reason, I, don't, I still to this day don't understand how he did this, but for some reason he was the only person who was able to walk in those rooms and he would write his name on the carpet. He would go like this and write his name on the carpet or he'd write messages to my mom and the next day my mom would walk in there and would see it. And whenever, whenever she would see that, she would, the first couple times she would say, what is the meaning of this? What, What is the meaning of this means? Something's wrong, and I need to understand right now what happened. Now Chris, for some reason, I don't know, this is where I first started learning about uh, the, having the it factor. Chris must have had the it factor because my mom would laugh it off with him. And so he would do it year after year, but none of the rest of us would dare walk on the carpet except for Chris Taylor. In fact, I remember our piano was in the dining room, and we all took piano lessons growing up. So you say, how did you get to the piano to do your practice every single day? We would step onto the couch, we would step onto the piano bench, and we would sit down. It was truly the Holy of Holies because we didn't want to hear those words. What is the meaning of this? Who walked in here? We would say it was Chris Taylor. It wasn't us, it was Chris Taylor. He's allowed to. He's like the high priest. And today's topic, today's message is titled, I laughed, I had a chuckle when I saw the title. The topic is, what is the meaning of marriage? And I, I laugh because I, I, I think of my... I think of the Holy of Holies when I think of that phrase, what is the meaning of this? And some of you, maybe when you got married, you sort of, that first year of marriage, maybe that was your attitude, like, what is the meaning of this? What is going on here? What is, what is this supposed to be about? 'Cause I know for my wife and I the first year of marriage was a year of adjustment. We were trying to we were trying to meld two families, two worldviews. That we were both Christians, but we still somehow had two different understandings of marriage. I remember she walked in one day to our to our apartment. We were both in seminary still and she walked into our apartment and uh and she had a she had a bag and in the bag she had a white t shirt and I said, What is what is that? She said, Well it's a white it's a white I just Bought it. It's a it's a white T-shirt, and I said, "But we're we're seminary students, and we don't have money for that." I said, "I don't understand why. Like, you just can go out and buy a white T-shirt. Like that that's a you can just do this. That's a thing." And she looked at me like I was the one who was weird. Because in my family, we were very frugal, we were very tight. In her family, they were were not as frugal, they had fewer kids, and they were a little bit more free to apparently go out and buy a $5 white t-shirt. Like, it's nothing. And I remember, she looked at me and and she said, I don't understand, like, I need to clear this, like, we need to have this conversation, And, and in my mind, I'm still saying, what is the meaning of this? Doesn't she understand? She looked, she was in her mind, she was saying, don't you understand? You're the weird one. And I said, honey, you already have a white T-shirt. Right? And she said, and that's when I first learned, learned this phrase. She said, this is a staple, like rice, you know? Like, this is, you don't need to ever clear this, you know? This is just something that you buy. And so whether it's finances or how to do conflict or trust or forgiveness or anything emotional. It's a man and a woman coming together and trying to understand what, what the meaning of this is. What is the meaning of marriage? And so I want to answer that today. And if you have a Bible, you can turn, of course, you should know this, to Ephesians chapter 5. That's going to be one of our, going to be kind of our key text for today. But I want to, I want to first of all, just to get this out of the way, I want to answer the biblical definition of marriage. So I want to give you first a definition of marriage. And then I want, to, I want to give you the purpose of marriage. And then once we get that out of the way, then I'm going to go on to share three fundamentals that Tracy and I, for the last 20 years, have taught every couple at our church, every couple that, gets, that is getting ready to get married, they end up going through what we call marriage basics, and that's what I'm going to share with you today. I'm going to share these three foundational, these three fundamental things that we teach every single couple before they get married. And so some of you, if you're already married, this will be a really good review for you. For some of you who maybe someday will get married, this is going to be a great preview for you. But before I get into the three fundamentals of a healthy marriage and a lifelong marriage, I want to just give a definition, a biblical definition of marriage our best biblical definition of marriage is this marriage is a commitment between one man and one woman for life. That's a biblical definition of marriage. I know that that's maybe in today's culture in America, that's probably not a very acceptable definition. But that is a biblical definition of marriage it's a commitment between one man and one woman for life. Now, in my church, at our church in in Utah, when we share that, even in the conservative state of Utah, we still would have people come up to us afterward to debate that definition. And there might be some people here today who want to come and talk with me about my definition for marriage. And so I want to encourage you, come forward if you want to debate this definition that marriage is a commitment between one man and one woman for life, because Pastor Mike will be up here to answer all of your questions about that. Tracy and I have a plane to catch, sorry about that. (laughs) So that's the biblical definition of marriage, and here's the the purpose of marriage. The purpose of marriage, in American culture, the purpose of marriage is to make you happy. Now that's the American culture purpose of marriage, that's not the biblical definition of marriage. The biblical definition of marriage, the biblical purpose for marriage isn't to make you happy, it's to make you holy. And there's a, there's a difference. The purpose of marriage for a husband and for a wife is to allow them to be transformed more into the image of Christ. The purpose for a husband is to learn how to love your wife like Christ loved the church. And that's about holiness. It's not about happiness because You're not always going to be happy in marriage. And if your goal is to be happy, then what you'll do is you'll end up staying in that marriage as long as you're happy in the marriage. And I'm even surprised marriages last as long as they do in our culture with that purpose in mind. Because that's not the biblical purpose of marriage. God wants to use your marriage. Husbands and wives, I want you to hear this. Young people, I want you to hear this. And I still want you to want to be married God's purpose in marriage is to make you holy, and happiness is a result of holiness in the long run. But if in the short run you're interested in happiness, you won't be happy in the long run. And So God's purpose for marriage, the reason that he created marriage as an institution, is so that we could be conformed to the image of God, because in marriage you learn to be one with your spouse, and that means you have to lose A part of you, you have to give up a part of you, you have to sacrifice a part of you. And again, the most perfect picture of this in the Bible is the picture of the love that Christ has for the church. Christ is the husband, the church is the bride, and Jesus gave up his life for the church. This is what it says in Ephesians chapter 5. I want to read this, and then I'm going to jump into these three things that we're going to talk about that that are the basics, the foundations for a lifelong marriage It says in Ephesians chapter five, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And it says for wives, verse 22, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. And for a husband is the head of his wife as Christ is the head of the church. He's the savior of his body, the church. So many people today are really offended by that. The husband is the head of the wife. That doesn't sound at all what our culture teaches. In fact, when my daughter was first reading this verse years ago. We encouraged her to read the Bible for herself. Young people, read the Bible for yourself. Read the Bible for yourself. And our daughter did this, and this is a dangerous thing sometimes when you read the Bible for yourself because my daughter was 14 or 15 and shaped by our culture and by our world even though we're raising her to have a biblical worldview. And when she first came through this scripture, she ran upstairs and she said, Mom and Dad, look at what I just read. Like we had never read this before. She said, look at what it says here. It says, wives, submit to your husbands. That's not right, is it? We don't have to do that, right? Like in the culture that she grew up in, she, she was like, this just doesn't make sense. And, and at first we were sort of taken aback because we, we hate to hear our, our kids question God and question God's word. And that was her instinct. Her instinct was to say, that doesn't feel Right? And we had to just sort of take a deep breath before we, you know, cursed her out for questioning God. We had to take a deep breath. We had to throw the duct tape on for a second. Sometimes, parents, we have to do that because our kids are still learning how to understand a biblical worldview. And, and we, we stopped and we said, well, why are you reacting like this? I mean, she was angry at God. By the way, it's okay. You read the Psalms, and there's a lot of that going on in the Psalms. I don't understand this. It doesn't mean that you have no faith if you don't understand something. But the, the response should be help me to understand this, because I don't get this. I don't understand how this is right. This doesn't feel right to me. Huh? Wives submit to your husbands. And so we stopped and we said, Well, why, why is that so hard? She's like, Well, I'm not going to submit to my husband. That's not going to be my heart. That's not going to be my attitude. And so we stopped, and Tracy said to her, well, do you, do you think that I submit to dad? And now she stopped, and she thought. She could tell it was a trick question. Because <laughs> we said, look, this is what the Bible says to do. And, and so Tracy said, I, I submit to your dad. And then I, I could see that she was trying to understand then what does submission mean. And, and I said to her, Kenzie, do you, do you think that I'm abusive? Do you think that I lord it over her? Do you think that I, you know, whip her into shape? Is that what you think of when you think of the word submit? And now she's beginning to understand that, that maybe she was reading something into this. She was reading something cultural into this that was not actually meant to be there. Because as you read on, it says, it says, as the church submits to Christ, so wives should submit to their husbands. And for husbands, it says, this means to love your wives just as Christ loved the church. And here's how he loved the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. And he did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she is holy and without fault, in the same way husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. For a man never loved, for a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. No one hates his own body but feeds and cares for it just as Christ cares for the church. And we are members of his body. And I said, What did Jesus do for the church? Kenzie grew up in the church, she knows. Well, he died for the church. Did he want to die for the church? No, he didn't really want to. In fact, he prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. Lord, to the Father, he said, take this cup from me. I don't want to suffer in this marriage anymore. I don't want to suffer in this relationship anymore. If anyone got the short end of the deal, it was the husband. Raise your hand if you feel like, no, don't do that. I'm just kidding. Jesus got the short end of the stick. The church got a bargain out of that. The church submits to Christ, but Christ loves the church and dies for the church, and that should be the attitude, because marriage is about making us holy. It's not about making us happy. Marriage is about conforming us more into the selfless, servant-hearted attitude of Jesus, and so as the husband and the wife submit to one another, which is actually how that whole passage started, is we submit to one another out of reverence. As we submit to one another, both of us are becoming more holy. And in the end, both of us are becoming more happy. And so the three foundational things that we teach every couple that wants to get married, we say, we will marry you, but you have to go through marriage mentoring first. And we want to make sure you understand these three things. And here they are. Number one, the first marriage basic is this. Love is a choice, not just a feeling that doesn't mean that feelings are bad but feelings will come and go love is a choice not just a feeling we live in a culture where you turn on a movie and you're watching a movie and you see this marriage that's that you've got you can taste it a little bit you can feel it a little bit you can relate to it a little bit it's the you know it's this this relationship that started off great but then after kid number 1 and kid number 2 or Maybe thing number one and thing number two anymore. I don't know if we're allowed to call them sons and daughters or boys and girls. Thing number one and thing number two. And we have these kids and and pretty soon your marriage becomes utilitarian and you're changing diapers and you're having to go to work to pay for these kids. And it's stressful and pretty soon you wake up and you look and you see you had hair. You had hair, my wife said, when I married you. You looked different when I married you. And so feelings aren't bad, but feelings come and go, and feelings are fickle. But we watch a movie, and, and love is about feelings, and we see this, this love, this marriage that has grown stale, and now there isn't any romance anymore. There's no love feeling anymore in that relationship. And so have you ever watched a movie, and you find yourself cheering for the affair? Maybe not consciously, but subconsciously you're like, yeah, that, that husband doesn't appreciate that wife anymore. She should follow her heart. She should, she should leave him. And that's, in fact, what our, what our society tells us to do. In fact, I had one person one time say, it would be wrong to stay married to my wife because I don't love her anymore. It would be, be morally wrong to stay married to her if I don't love her. That is cheating her. She deserves more than that, which is another way of saying I deserve more than this and I deserve to be happy. Don't I deserve to be happy? And just in short, God's answer to that is no. (laughs) You don't. You need to write that down. I'll give you a second if you want to write that one down. That That was tweetable right there. You don't deserve to be happy. You deserve... If you're a follower of Jesus, you deserve to do it God's way. And God's way is to say this. He says, love is a choice. When you enter into marital vows, you don't say something like this. I choose to love you as long as you keep your hair. I choose to love you as long as you seem lovable. I choose to love you as long as I feel like it. That's not what anyone's vows are. I wouldn't marry a person if that's what their vows were. Sometimes we let, we encourage couples, hey, if you want to write your own vows, you can. Here are some other options if you want to just have more traditional vows. And sometimes a couple will will choose to write their own vows. And Tracy and I always say to that couple just make sure that you understand this a vow is a promise, it's not a poem. A vow is a promise, a vow is a covenant, it's not a contract. A contract says, if you deliver this, I'll deliver this. A covenant says, I'll deliver this. I commit to you. I promise this. I promise this, and I promise this. And most vows end with something like, until death parts us. And then three years later, they get a divorce. Because they didn't mean those words. Marital love is based on a promise You take vows when you get married, and you're making a promise. And Jesus didn't go to the cross because he felt like it. Jesus went to the cross because God is love, and love is a choice. Jesus chose to go to the cross because he loved his bride. He chose to die on the cross, not because he was having a ball, he wasn't having a good time on the cross. It was excruciating. It was painful. More painful than your marriage. And he stuck to it. And if you want to have a biblical marriage that lasts the difference, then you'll remember that love is a choice, not just a feeling. Feelings aren't bad, but feelings come and go. So choose love. That's the first basic of marriage. The second basic has to do with your, this thing called trust. And here's how we like to word it. Trust is earned not freely given. If you want to be in a marriage that lasts the lifetime, then you have to be committed to earning trust every day. Trust is earned, it's not freely given. And that means that each spouse needs to take ownership and work hard to earn this trust every single day. Sometimes couples will come in and my wife's a counselor and so I get to sit there and, and uh, sort of be the entertainment in those kinds of scenarios, it's kind of nice. I get to keep it light. If it gets a little too serious in there, I tell a joke or something. And so sometimes a couple will come in, and they've got this, this struggle, and, and, the, and the wife will say, I don't, you know, here's the issue, here's the problem. And we turn to the husband, and the husband would say, well, here's the problem. She doesn't trust me. And the husband's expecting us to say, how dare you not trust your husband. You should trust your husband. The Bible says to trust your husband. Now, that's not what we do. Tracy says, well, why doesn't she trust you? Or we'll look at the wife and say, well, why don't you trust him? Because 99% of the time, it's not the problem of the wife in that case. It's the problem of the husband. Because the Bible doesn't say we should trust anyone. Anyone. In fact, the Bible says you're a fool to trust someone who's not trustworthy. God Himself doesn't say to us that we should blindly trust Him. The reason we can trust God is because He's faithful. Deuteronomy 7 9 explains it. It says that God, and this is the nature, this is the character of God, it says that know therefore that the Lord your God is God. He is the faithful God, keeping His covenant. There's that word again keeping his covenant of love to a thousand generations of those who love him and keep his commandments. And so even God himself doesn't demand that we trust him. God himself earns trust. How much more should we earn trust in our marriages? Trust is reactive. If you struggle to trust your spouse, then you need to have some conversations about trustworthiness if your spouse doesn't trust you, quit pointing the finger at your spouse. You need to point the finger here, and you need to say, what is, what is she or what is he reacting to in me? Why does my spouse not trust me? You can't demand trust. You can't say, you gotta trust me. You gotta earn your trust. Trust is a reaction. Trust is something that your spouse reacts to. It's different than Love. Love is something God commands us to love. Love is, love is a covenant. Love is a choice that you make. But trust isn't a choice that you make. Trust is a, a reaction of yours to somebody else, in this case to your spouse. And if your spouse is trustworthy, then you can trust your spouse. Like, you can, like we can trust God because God is trustworthy. But if you find yourself reacting with suspicion then maybe that's because your spouse hasn't earned it. Trust is also measurable. That means that you can look back and you can say, because of this and this data point and this data point and this data point, I can trust you. This is something in in parenting that we, we told our kids long ago. We said, kids, we will trust you as much as you earn our trust. And you will have more, the more trustworthy you are, the more freedom you will have. And both of our kids have learned that and have taken ownership of their own actions and they have our kids are 18 and 16 now and we trust our kids ninety percent which is good it's better than it was years ago because they've earned that trust over time and trust is slow it takes time to earn trust and that's why in a marriage especially with newly married couples we say look trust is like trust is like a bank account and every time you do something that that you can deplete that trust bank account, then you need to remember that you have to build that account back up. And trust is something that is slow and measurable and it takes time to build up and you should be committed to building up trust for the rest of your life because you can blow it with one stupid choice. But you can also build that trust up day in, day out, year in, year out. It doesn't mean you're perfect, but you should build that trust, you should earn that trust, because trust is earned, it's not freely given. God does not say to trust someone blindly. He says you're a fool to trust someone who's untrustworthy. And that even, that even includes marriage. So many couples, especially Christian couples, they, they think that trust is some godly thing. Well, I need to trust my, I'm a Christian, I should trust my spouse. And we're like, what? bless your heart, which is a Christian way of saying, what a moron. Bless your heart. But that is not in the Bible. The Bible does not say you should trust your spouse. The Bible says you should love your spouse. The Bible says you should forgive your spouse. But it doesn't say you should trust your spouse. Your spouse has to earn that. Forgiveness is proactive. It says forgive. How many times? 70 times 7. And sometimes that means for the same offense, over and over. Your your spouse did something and you have, to, you have to actively and even proactively forgive that, that spouse for something that they did. Forgiveness is something that we should proactively give. Forgiveness is not something that can be earned. If you earned it, it's not forgiveness. Forgiveness is a gift. So yes, forgive proactively, but trust reactively. They need to earn their trust. And in a healthy marriage, you understand, you understand that. So number one, choose love. Number two, earn trust. And number three, this is the most practical part of it. There's just three things. This is what we, for 20 years, this is what we teach everyone, every marriage. This is, these are the foundational elements of a healthy marriage. And again, I want to encourage you, before we go to the last one, which is super practical, I want to just encourage you to think, okay, how am I doing if I'm keeping score, how am I doing right now in my marriage? In fact, I think that's a great question for you to ask as you drive away from here in your minivan as you try to beat the Baptists to the, to the brunch. <laughs> Encourage you to ask yourself, hey, what, what score would you give us? We love to have one to 10 questions. On a scale of one to 10, how do you think we're doing right now in the love category? How do you think we're doing right now in choosing love? It's a great question. To Do a little state of the union in your marriage. How do you think we're doing in choosing love? Do we need to do a better job of that? And then the second area, how do you think we're doing at earning trust? Because a healthy marriage chooses love and a healthy marriage earns trust. That's not something you ever stop doing. You're always choosing love. Every single morning we wake up, we have to choose love. And every single morning we wake up, we have to start fresh at earning trust every single morning. And those two things are, are, are the bedrock of a healthy marriage As you choose love and you earn trust. And, and with those two things, you can have a lifelong marriage, but it could still be miserable. And there are a lot of couples that have a lifelong marriage where they choose love because they're honorable people. And they earn trust because they're, They're just committed to those things. But your marriage could still be miserable. And that's why this third thing is so important. Because if you want to not just go the distance, but if you want to have a happy marriage, not just a marriage where you're made holy, but actually an enjoyable marriage, a fulfilling marriage, then you need to make sure to have this third element. And here's the third element. Here's how we like to say it. Healthy couples keep talking even when it means conflict. Now this is a skill, and at this point in our marriage mentoring, we would, we'd be sitting there with the couple, and, and we'd be, you know, we're talking about, you know, one week we're talking about choosing love, and the next week we're talking about earning trust, and, and they're, you know, there's a little bit of you know, smoke coming out of their ears as they're trying to wrap their mind around this, because it's not what the culture teaches us. But when we get to this one, this is almost 100% a skill. Choosing love, earning trust, those things are a little bit deeper. Those things things kind of hit at the heart a little bit. Those are heart issues. Those are character issues, right? But this last one is, is, is almost purely a skill that healthy couples know how to communicate. That includes conflict. And so many couples don't have the skill of communication, they don't have the, the skill of engaging in communication, and, and as a result, they, they, maybe they choose love, and maybe they earn trust, but they're never talking, and so their hearts aren't being knit together, and they're not really connecting with each other in a deep, meaningful way. And maybe for some of you, you say, yeah, that sounds like my marriage, because, because we, we're still married, so we, cho- we chose love, and we haven't really screwed up really bad, or maybe we have but we've forgiven each other and so we're we're still earning trust but our marriage isn't very fulfilling our marriage isn't very happy there's no satisfaction in our marriage and i think maybe part of that because part of that might be because you haven't learned the skill of communication healthy couples keep talking even when it means conflict now the marriage that i saw modeled my mom and my dad they're still married. They chose love. In fact, my dad now said to me just the other day, my mom is starting to forget more things. And she's starting, she's starting to have a hard time and we're seeing potentially the, the first stages of, of dementia. And my dad said to me the other day as we were driving down the road, he said, this is my lot in life. Does that sound romantic? <laughs> And what, what, I, what I hear in that is, I'm committed to her, and this is like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to love her, and I'm going to be committed to her for as long as she lives, and if, she out, if, if I outlive her, then I'm going to care for her over these years, and he's like, he's kind of just sort of settling into that. And he's earned trust, and she's earned trust over the years, and they've got a pretty good marriage. They've definitely got a marriage that went the distance or we'll go the distance. But you know that what they really struggled with? Communication. I grew up in a family where a fight between mom and dad, if a fight occurred, we, the kids would be sitting over there saying, are mom and dad going to get a divorce? And they didn't fight right. My, my mom would use toxic words, and she would be negative, and... And she would let her insecurities come out and my dad would just stuff it and stuff it and stuff it and stuff it until he couldn't stuff it anymore. And then he would explode and escalate. And that's what escalators tend to do. They stuff it until they can't anymore. They sweep it under the rug until, until the rug is so big that that elephant in the room is under the rug, right? And they escalate and they blow up and they never learn these healthy communication patterns. They stuck it out. They went the distance, but man, their marriage could have been so much more fulfilling for both of them if they learned this simple skill of communication, including communication in conflict. It's good to fight for your marriage, but you have to fight the right way. When a couple comes in and and we see that they're not fighting anymore, we know that they're done. Some of you might say, oh, we don't ever fight. I don't think that's necessarily something to brag about. Because a lot of times, we don't ever fight means that one of you dominates, and the other, the other just shuts his or her mouth. There's no healthy communication going on, and one, one personality is dominating and maybe even domineering a little bit, and a lot of times, those marriages end up in a divorce. Eventually, the quiet one just says, I've had enough. Fighting is important. If you care about your marriage, you'll fight for your marriage. And you'll do conflict right, and you'll do it in a healthy way. How many of you have heard of, have heard of the love languages? Raise your hand if you've heard of the love languages. Yeah. There's five love languages, and I'm not talking about those right now. We're going to talk about the, the three fight languages. Okay? So there's love languages and there's fight languages. I'm going to read them to you real quick. And we've got some topics on this in our library on the marriage page. If you want to kind of dig into this more with your spouse or with a marriage mentor... I want you to think about which one is your natural fight language. When you have conflict, what do you tend to do? Number one, some of you escalate. That means you blow up. That's your fight language. That's me. Actually, no, that's my wife. I'm kidding. Number two, some of you withdraw. A lot of times the escalator is married to a withdrawer. I'm the withdrawer. My wife's an escalator. So when we first got married... She would want to get into conflict, and she would start to escalate so that she could be heard. And I would be like, why are you yelling at me right now? I'm not yelling at you! You know, and so I would start to withdraw, and she would escalate, and boy, that didn't work out at first. And, and we had to learn, we had to become self-aware about these fight languages that we have, that she escalates and I withdraw. And we had to learn, I had to learn to, to stay in the conversation, and she had to learn to have a conversation about it. And now if you look at us today, we actually fight really well. In fact, our fights might not even look like a fight to you, but we still have conflict. But it's good, healthy conflict. It's me communicating my perspective and my understanding, and it's her communicating hers, and we've learned how to use I feel because statements. Here's how I feel. I'm not going to point fingers at you, but here's how I feel right now. And this is why I feel that way. And now the other person, instead of putting up a wall or being defensive, the other person could say, here's what I hear you saying. You feel this way because of this. And we've just learned over time. And it takes time. It's a skill. You have to develop this skill. But it takes time to develop that skill of communication, especially if you're an escalator or a withdrawer. And the third fight language is invalidation. Invalidation is when you say, you don't know what you're talking about. Invalidation is where you say, forget about it, never mind. Which is, invalidation is when you say, bless your heart, right? Like I'm not even going to dignify your perspective. You're, you're invalidating them. So which one is yours? And maybe you have all three of them, but escalation, withdrawal, invalidation, all of those are are negative fight languages. God's word says this in Ephesians four twenty nine. He says, don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything that you say, oh, sorry, I'm reading the NLT. Let me read what you're seeing right now. Don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. This is our verse that we use for every conflict. This is what God's word says to us in marital conflict, and conflict at work, conflict among siblings. Remember this verse, don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. Make sure that what comes out of your mouth is helpful for building others up. And what that means is that you enter conflict. Because if you're afraid to enter conflict, then you're not willing to build someone up. You're not willing to challenge them and help them grow and be more holy, be more Christ-like. So it's actually unhealthy for you to withdraw and not engage in healthy conflict. Now, it's unhealthy to engage in, in negative, toxic conflict as well, but that sweet spot is being able to step into conflict and, and being ready and willing to engage in a godly way for the good of the other person. So marriage... God's idea of marriage, one man, one woman, for life. But his whole point to marriage isn't that you just be happy, it's that you be holy, that you be made more like Christ. And if you wanna do that in your marriage, whether it's a marriage you're currently in now, or young people, a marriage that someday God might give you, I challenge you to remember these three basics, these three fundamental things. Choose love because love is more than a, a feeling. Love is a choice, love is a covenant, love is a promise, love is a commitment between one man and one woman for life. And earn trust because you'll, you'll never fully trust one another. It just Trust just doesn't work that way. For as long as you live, you'll always be earning trust and building on that trust that you have with one another. Always be earning trust and be willing to forgive the other person and let them earn trust once again. And keep talking. Don't be afraid to enter into conflict. Don't be afraid to look each other in the eye and say, we need to talk. We need to talk about this thing. And that's one of the reasons that we, Tracy and I, have put together PursueGod.org, those resources. Because we know so many families, so many marriage, marital couples don't even know how to talk. They say, we need to talk about this topic. Or we need to talk about this topic. We need to talk about love a little bit more. Go to the marriage page, and there are hundreds of topics on love. We need to talk about trust a little bit more. We, we struggle with that. I, I don't trust my spouse, and I want to dive down into that a little bit. I want to I understand how to trust better. I want to understand how to be a more trustworthy, honorable spouse. Have those conversations. Always be talking. Always be dating one another. Always be pursuing one another. That's the kind of marriage that God has in mind for all of us. That's what he wants to see for all of us. He wants to make us holy through marriage, and that'll, in the end, make us happy. Let's pray together today.